Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Viton Council Live. This is episode number three. The Viton Council is an invitation-only organization for professionals to be able to publish content, connect, and excel. We help our members grow and launch their careers in business, and every single week, you can find us here, Thursdays at 12 p.m. U.S. Central Time on LinkedIn Live. We're on Friday this week, but we're going to be switching to Thursdays. And here's what's happening this week in business. Dominating the headlines are businesses condoning their acts of violence at this week's at the nation's capital. And even Axe Body Spray actually had something to say, tweeting, quote, we'd rather be lonely than with the mob after yesterday's acts of violence and hate at the Capitol. We believe in the democratic process and the peaceful transition of power. And, you know, after initially hanging back and letting their CEOs do most of the talking, some of the brands are actually beginning to say more about the attack on the Capitol. Ben and Jerry's, known for their steps into social activism, actually posted a series of tweets supporting the removal of President Trump and encouraging for rioters, saying, resign, impeach, 25th Amendment, not one more day. And this is on the eve of the inauguration, just 12 days away. In other news, tech companies continued to pursue different approaches to President Trump following the Capitol attack. Facebook placed its harshest restrictions yet on President Trump, blocking him from posting indefinitely a day after the social media giant and its peers removed posts in the wake of an attack on the U.S. Capitol by pro-Trump mobs. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said in a post that the ban would last at least two weeks through the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden, adding that the risk of using the services are during this period, quote, simply too great, end quote. Twitter, on the other hand, reinstated Mr. Trump's access to his personal account, which has more than 88 million followers. He deleted three tweets after the company said that they, quote, repeated and severe violations, end quote, of its civil integrity process. And Shopify took action as well, taking down e-commerce stores run by the Trump organization and the Trump campaign, saying the president had violated its policies against promoting or supporting organizations or people that promote violence as, quote, as a result, we've terminated stores affiliated with President Trump, end quote, the company said. And on the pandemic front, federal and state officials are tapping regional and supermarket-based pharmacies to help speed up the administration of the COVID-19 vaccines amid a slower-than-planned rollout. Rite Aid, Kroger, and other retailers are being asked to step in and provide vaccines to frontline workers and other vulnerable people. While the timeline is weeks earlier than planned, the companies say that they hope to test and troubleshoot protocols before distributing vaccines to the general public. Executives at Kroger and Walgreens, two of the largest retailers that are involved in the vaccine effort, expressed frustration over what they said was a slower than necessary rollout because of the holdups at state and federal levels. Kroger is also exploring ways to hold large events in the community centers and stadiums that would allow it to vaccinate 600 to 800 people at a time. As we head into the new year, a new jobs report was released and to share more about the news, we invited a friend of the show, Jack Kelly, to come join us. Jack. <laughs> How you doing? Hi. Good, good. How I are you doing? I waiting for the right time. You are at the perfect time. Jack's a senior contributor to Forbes and the CEO of WeCruiter. He's worked in the executive recruiting space for over 25 years, placing thousands of professionals with top-tier companies. 
Jack, welcome to the show. We're kicking this off. It's the new year. We're kicking this off, and we're looking forward to having awesome. your expertise on Viton Council Live regularly as one of our regular guests. Yeah. Well, thank you. Happy New Year. And, and I hope you don't mind. I'm casual. I I moved into. Oh, Happy New Year. I was moving my daughter into her dorm, so I'm I'm here. So we're gonna. Well, I, I can show the camera later. You can kind of look around. Well, this is. We're gonna be casual. This is how so we're this, going to. Keep so it. this is more the casual. Yes. All right. Cool. <laughs> Now, Jack, over the last six months, we've seen the jobs report every single month and month over month, there's been a decrease in new first time unemployment claims. December took a step backwards. What happened here? Yeah, not so good. Not so good. You know what? The numbers were, were pretty bad, but I'm, I'm optimistic. And the reason is this. Um, COVID, as, as you know, resurge, it's a resurgence. Um, and when that happens, there are curfews, there are lockdowns, there are shutdowns. People don't want to go outside. So it changes the whole dynamic. But I think what's going to happen is once the vaccines, as you were talking about, are going to get distributed and it's going to roll out, plus we have that $900 billion stimulus package, plus Biden's going to come in there with some more stimulus and infrastructure program. So I think all these things are going to start to turn it around. So you can go from really bad news and it's going to take maybe the next quarter or so to turn it, you know, to start moving it. But I have all the faith in the world that it's, you're going to see, you're going to see a difference. You're going to see a change soon. Yeah. And as everybody knows, you know, December brought in an all time high. And honestly, any measure that you could look at that you can use to measure the pandemic, new cases, hospitalization, um, deaths. And so it's clearly it's the compounding of New Year's Eve on top of Christmas, on top of Thanksgiving. What have you heard from employers and how are employers feeling about their hiring plans for the new year? You know, that's a great question. There's there's so much uncertainty and that's that's the challenge for job seekers. So for the folks who are watching this now and will watch it, I'm sure when Vincent uh, replays it on other social media, hang in there. I, what, what I've seen over the last 20 plus years of being a recruiter, if companies are not sure what's going to happen next, they don't do anything. They kick the can down the road. They wait and see what's going to happen. But once they turn the corner and they're more confident, that's when it kicks in. So it may take a little bit of a while. But once we get past a hurdle, they're going to start moving forward. So right now, they're in this quasi-hold, although I have definitely seen more people hiring. And, and I, you, you may have seen this as well and others on LinkedIn. When someone gets a new job, you, you, you kind of saw seeing a little bit more yeah. of a flurry than you have in the past. And I think it's going to be kind of a steady incremental move. But then once, once kind of we turn the corner, there should be a lot of pent-up demand. And it should yeah. improve things tremendously. Yeah, and it's coming. You know, a lot of marketers watching this show know that in SEO, search engine optimization, having the featured snippet in Google is is the dream. And one of our blog posts right now is how to announce a new job on LinkedIn, which if you search for that in Google, um, we have the number one search result going to the Viton website. And we've actually nice. seen an increase in traffic um, where we're getting thousands more nice. people. Uh, there. And so, you know, it doesn't match the December jobs report, which is lagged by a month. But if any indication, at least that traffic coming to our website in a small sample um, shows some optimism coming up. But, you know, this job report shows that payroll or payroll employment declined by 140,000 jobs in December. <laughs> you notice I avoided giving that number because I don't want to depress people. I sidestepped it when you asked me about it. I, it in, it's a, it's a depressing first. number, right? Because those are, it's 140,000 <laughs> yes. old people. And it sounds like horrible news. And maybe I'm just yeah. too much of a pessimist. But you wrote in Forbes. I saw the article come out a few hours ago this morning that there's good news yes. on the horizon. 
Um, what did you mean by that? Yeah. So as I was talking about before, I think what's going to happen, you get a few things. You're going to get, first of all, the cold weather's going to be rough because people don't go outside as much. The restaurants like in New York can't have outside dining. Well, you're in Tennessee. It's beautiful. You could go out whenever you want. Here in New York and in New Jersey and I'm in Philly right now, you can't eat outside. So it's going to be for short term a little tough. But once we start getting vaccines and hopefully, God willing, you don't have adverse reactions and things go well, the stimulus kicks in, the $600 people get gives them a little extra spending money. If you're in between jobs, you get that extra $300. That's a nice little boost. And then Biden, his build back, you know, better plan is to pump in a ton of money and get involved with big infrastructure deals. So I'm hoping that's going to be the catalyst to kind of turn it around. So then all of a sudden you'll start seeing these jobs. And this goes back to what I mentioned earlier, Vincent, is that then the hiring manager could be optimistic because when they see the casualties go down in terms of COVID, when you see the deaths go down, when you start seeing not so much bad news, that's when the hiring manager really kick in because they're going to realize, hey, we got to get on it. Because then they realize if, for instance, Vincent, if I see you start hiring, you know, ABC widget company, I'm like, oh, I got to start doing it too. Then I start doing it and then someone else starts doing it and it becomes a snowball effect. Yeah. And, you, you know, you mentioned outdoor dinings in much of the country. You know, California is locked down, locked down right now. No indoor or outdoor dining. Um, we do have outdoor dining in Nashville. And I know you think it's not cold here, but I want to bring this up onto the screen. Right, Jack, cold? No, how, how cold I don't know is? with uh, 42 it? degrees, oh, 30 degrees if I'm eating outdoors. Yeah, 40, yeah 42. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's not... It's a, it's a little bit cold to be dining outdoors uh, here still. You know, yes, other yes. big news, you wrote about this week. Uh, I saw an article in Forbes that you wrote um, about a new union starting at Google. You know, what brought, what brought about a movement for Google employees to unionize? I love this. This is the craziest union. This is so awesome. And by the way, you got to bear with me. I think my my, my thing is, la is sideways. So if you see me moving around, I'm trying to unsideways me. But I'll oh, you're do good. The best here. You're, you're, I don't, you're you straight know. on my screen. Um, okay. So, so my parents are teachers. My whole family are teachers. So I know all about unions because they're part of teachers' union, and that that's you know a really big, strong union. Google and usually what they do is this: you know, more money, benefits, pension, all that kind of stuff. The Google union is kind of a woke union, uh, union, and I'm not saying that in a disparaging way. Their goal is not so much, hey, we want to earn more money. We want to get more benefits. We want more days off. They're saying, hey, we don't want to be evil. We want to go back to the original you know, slogan of don't be evil. We want to do good. We don't want to work on tasks that help China surveil people, or put uh, you know, uh, Uyghurs into work camps and, and really take a hard look at what are we doing as a company and are we doing the right thing? So it's really, uh, you know, when you say these words like social justice, sometimes it has a negative connotation. I don't mean that, but they really want to champion, hey, we're working here. We want to do good things. We want to do, we, we want to make the world a better place. And they're kind of advocating for things like that. They want to advocate for uh, uh, racial equality, for all sorts of good causes, which is, Historically, that's not what unions were all about. They were all about, you know, more money, more vacation, more days off. So it's a really unique, different thing. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out.
Yeah, you know, when you have Michelin chefs giving food, cooking food in your cafeteria, I guess you can't unionize to be able to get better lunch <laughs> than anybody's in a Google cafeteria right now. Um, that's a good point. You know, is this changing the way that people are looking for jobs and picking companies? Because, you know, in the past, if you had a paycheck, you put food on the table, put a roof over your head. That's really what the priority was when employers or employees were looking for employers. But it sounds like employees are looking for different types of attributes, even outside of compensation now. Without a doubt, you know, as a Gen Xer, it that wasn't really a thing. But with millennials, with Gen Zs, it's very important, I see from, from those folks, is if they're working in a place, they want a place that their, their um, ethics are in line, their values are in line with the company. They want a company that they can feel proud of, that, that sponsors you know, certain causes and stands behind it. And that's a big thing. You know, they're looking for jobs that have meaning, that they can be passionate about, that they feel good, that, that they're participating in a, in, a, in a rightful cause. And that's a big shift. That's a really big shift. Now that might be common to younger people, and I, I don't want to generalize. But from what I've noticed, you know, Gen X's, Boomers, that really wasn't so much of a thing. But more and more it is. And then to be fair, I see it starting to creep in to people like you know, in my generation and older. We also start realizing, particularly, I've noticed that people during the pandemic are redefining what they want to do. They're saying, "Hey, life is short. It's fragile." I may have known someone who got sick with COVID, someone who you know passed away. What, what am I doing with my, my life? What am I going to do for the next five, 10 years? Do I still want to be a tax accountant? Would I want to do something else and, and, and really get some intrinsic reward for doing it? So I do see from, from job seekers and people who are thinking about pivoting or, 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 or reinventing themselves to say, hey, I want to find something that has more meaning, more purpose. And that, that's, a, it's, that's a really across the board. Yeah, and we're seeing that change both on the employee side as well as the employer side, employees wanting to work for organizations that match their personal values. And even on the employer side, I mean, I think if I rewind 24 months ago, maybe even 12 months ago before the BLM movement, it wasn't normal for companies to take a public stance on these strictly social issues. And yet we see right now Ben and Jerry's calling for uh, the impeachment or the use of the 25th Amendment with President Trump. I can't even imagine companies of the past making that type of public statement. You're so right. Come to think of that was the turning point. Yeah. Right before then, yeah, it was out there, but that gave that opened up the door to people to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna speak up. I want my voice to be heard. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about injustice. I want to feel comfortable. Um, and I think with management, they want their employees to feel comfortable. So that mm -hmm. they don't feel like, wow, you know, I was on, I was talking to somebody who felt um, that she felt isolated because she was, no one really was like her, you know, and that feeling, hey, did they really get it? Do they understand? And I think companies are trying to work more with their employees to make them feel comfortable to show that they understand that they're on the same team. And, and that's a big shift. That's a huge shift. It's a huge shift. And I'm really excited to be able to hear from our next guest, his perspective on this, because, you know, when you run a marketing organization or a public relations or, you know, function, 
typically you don't make public statements unless those public statements are in the benefit of your company, meaning that, you know, you are putting out pro-environmentalism messages if it's also for the benefit of your company. But I don't see Coca-Cola or Pepsi putting out any type of messages about decreasing the use of plastic. And so, you know, companies are definitely changing the way that they're making statements um, and those statements may or may not have a direct impact to the company and sometimes, you know, may even be directly against what the company's short term uh, model is. It's pretty obvious for a company like Tesla to be able to say, hey, we want to move towards uh, use of electric vehicles. But this will be interesting. It'll be interesting to be able to continue to keep an eye on it. Jack, one more final question. It's the first episode of the new year. So I got to ask any New Year's resolutions yes. here for you. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I don't have one off the top of my head, but I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to do a good job, help people out. There's so much, I don't know how you feel about this. I'm sure the same, especially given what happened in Tennessee recently, you know, there's so much stuff going on that if everybody can make a little attempt to make things better, just a little bit, right? Everybody doing a little thing. I, I think there's just a, so much anger and misery and and hate going on that if everyone could just try a little bit, and I'm doing, you know, myself too, to answer your question, we could turn things around, make things better. And it's not hard yeah. to do. It's not hard to do. And you're absolutely right. What a great way to be able to end this conversation. We all can do our individual parts. And one thing I'm going to try to do this year is stop stressing out about things that I can't control as well. Yeah. So I'm going to yes. put more good into the world and stop stressing out yes. about things that I can't control. Thanks again, Jack, for joining us on Vitan Council Live. Absolutely. We're looking forward to having you I'll back on the show Thanks. regularly. You can read Jack's Absolutely. actionable interview, career, and salary advice on his regular articles that come out almost every single day on Forbes.com. Jack, yeah. thank you so much. We'll see you soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Each week, we're going to invite recruiters and business leaders onto the show to be able to share their career strategies, mindsets, and tips. And I'm excited to be able to welcome to the show today, Tim Busa, who's the Vice President of Marketing at Loop Returns, which helps brands with e-commerce stores provide a seamless return process for their customers. Today, Loop powers the return process for brands that you likely know, like Allbirds, Brooklinen, Figs, and Pura Vida. Tim's had a 15-year career in sales and marketing, working across email marketing, security, and e-commerce industries. Previously, he also held marketing leadership roles at companies like Zayas, Continuum, and Constant Contact. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, Vincent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You and I have been, both been in the e-commerce space. Um, we've always crossed paths um, in the e-commerce circles. Are e-commerce conferences or even in-person conferences in general, are that are those dead? I haven't been to one in, in over 12 one, months now. I know, nor have I. I, I think they're dead for now. Uh, they're, they're, they're dead for now. I mean, we've come up on a new budget cycle where I know myself, I've had to make some pretty hard decisions around, do I even put money in the budget for it this year? Uh, you know, we we did not for for a physical uh, physical conference, um, but everyone's planning for virtual. Um, you know, I think the I, I think the things to watch for is that 
everyone's doing virtual events. I, I don't know about you, but I remember in, in March, all of a sudden, it's like the companies who came out with virtual events first. It was like, wow, what a great novel idea. And then like all marketers do, everyone just copied each other. And it was like, you couldn't go online without being invited to a virtual event. I think we've we've gone to the valley of that. And and now what we're, what we're starting to see coming out on the other side is um, virtual events are still important. They're things that um, smart and creative marketers will find a way to do well. But um, it just puts a lot of pressure on marketers to come up with a, a valid reason for someone to spend another two or three hours in front of their computer because that's that's all we're doing these days. I agree with you. We saw companies like Outreach go out really strong early in the pandemic, hosted a very high production virtual summit, and many other companies uh, followed. And I'm to the point right now where I'm feeling virtual summit fatigue. I'm not sure if I can attend um, another virtual summit the strategies to be able to drive demand generation or lead generation for a virtual summit are very, very different than what you would do at an in-person conference where you could literally have account executives, salespeople meeting face-to-face -face with potential buyers. You know, what are the things that you're seeing that are working well as we move to this virtual environment and still try to justify expense and investment, but clearly investment in a different space? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a great question. And I think everyone has struggled. Everyone struggled with it at first because uh, I think we saw a lot of marketing organizations just say, we're going to take everything that we were going to do live and we're just going to put keynote speakers in front of a screen and we're just, you know, we're going to try to just actually replicate it. And we have found that that, that just does not work. Um, I did some interesting work uh, with a few colleagues at, at Zayas where we hosted virtual panels. But what we did is all the audience members were part of the panel. So what we asked them to do was download two Zoom backgrounds. One said in, one said out. Uh, we, the speaker, would come up with a topic and say, you know, we think X, Y, and Z about a certain topic. Are you in or are you out? And you would change your background to in or out. And then we would call on people to interact. And we found that people really, really liked that. People like to interact. No one wants to sit in front of a webinar screen anymore. No one wants to listen to someone talk for 45 minutes, um, you know, with a stale static uh, presentation, stuff like this, where it's live, where it's interactive, where it's organic and not scripted is really what people are looking for with virtual. So first and foremost, it's content. Um, content has to be engaging. I also think it needs to be entertaining. Um, you know, for every hour that you're spending in front of your computer that isn't work and it's like, quote unquote, like extracurricular, like you're attending a virtual event, that's time that you're not spending with your family. It's time that you're not spending getting things done. So there needs to be an element of entertainment to it as well. Um, but I do think it's, it's, it's a viable way to keep people engaged with your brand. But the expectations around, you know, closing a lot of business through a virtual event because you can't have the one-on-one -on -one sales meetings before, during, and after, um, you have to just change your expectations for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's even driving companies to be able to innovate and push out new features to be able to facilitate large scale virtual events. You know, there is not a great technology today to be able to do breakout sessions across right. 10,000 people. You know, one of the crazy events that I've seen that's been hosted in the past 12 months, they literally used Zoom. So Zoom Pro and Zoom Webinar. Zoom Pro has breakout rooms. Zoom Webinar does not. And I saw a company put 10,000 people into Zoom Pro, which has a limit of 2,000 people. And wow. they used five different Zoom Pro accounts in order to be able to do breakout sessions for 10,000 people. And that's yeah. just, I can't even think, I can't even imagine behind the scenes at the control board what that room looks like broadcasting out to five different Zooms and doing breakouts for 10,000 people. Um, right. It's absolutely interesting. 
So, you know, that's that's really interesting. What other trends are you seeing that marketers need to keep an eye on in 2021? Yeah, uh, uh, first and foremost, so I come from a demand gen background, so everything having to do with paid and performance uh, marketing. And um, I think the the glory days of, of Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram marketing are behind us. There are more new people coming online this year than ever because of what's going on with the pandemic. So if you think of e-commerce, for example, we're about 10 years farther on the growth curve this year than we were supposed to be. We're, we're operating on the, on the adoption curve as if we're in the year 2030. So um, because of that, uh, CPAs are increasing. It's it, There's way more competition to get in front of your target audience. And um, small brands will just get eaten alive if they have too much of their budget put into performance marketing. Um, so that's the that's the first thing that we're seeing. Um, sort of the 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 um, the inverse of that, and the brands who are doing, uh, you know, uh, doing a good job of counterbalancing that are folks that have a really really strong brand. Uh, they're marketing with a purpose and they're owning their audience. I mean, above all else, there has never been a better time to have a really, really big email list and great copywriters that are creative. Um, because in the face of rising CPAs, uh, as a small organization, you'll never be able to compete with someone with a larger budget than you. Um, but that that's a, that's a game that will just, it never ends. So the brands who really learn how to zig where everyone else is zagging, creating a great brand, a great strategic narrative that people care about, and they're willing to give you their contact information. I know it sounds old school, but there's really never been a better time for that. Um, you know, and third thing I think with content, um, easy to consume content that is bite-sized and mobile optimized is super important. We're spending, God, every every night or morning when I see the amount of time I spend on my phone over the course of the day, it's it's horrifying. But I think <laughs> I think we're all sort of stuck in that mode at this point. So making yeah. sure that the content that you're creating is um, it, it's bite-sized and you know you're dealing with people with short attention spans. It's it's never been more important to optimize your content that way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I have three thoughts. The first one, Tim, give yourself a break and turn off that iOS screen time report because during <laughs> the pandemic, I think everybody gets a free pass on that iOS screen time report. Right. Number sure. two, I love that you still have Christmas decorations up. And oh, yeah. right now, this year, keep those decorations up. Keep listening to the Christmas music because you've earned it. And number three, um, you know, I, I think it is really interesting. And every single one of the reports from NRF to every other organization has said that e-commerce is now five to 10 years ahead of the adoption uh, curve for what was expected to be e-commerce revenues versus brick and mortar revenues. I don't know about you, but curbside pickup, I'm never going back. Now that right. I've had a taste of curbside pickup and sharing my GPS location um, so that literally somebody is there the moment I pull into a parking lot, I think a lot of uh, companies that are that are innovating right now and creating features like that, it's really going to be able to drive uh, in the marketplace. Now is definitely the time to be able um, to look at what consumers want and go running towards it because it's definitely here to stay. Um, you know, one of the biggest changes in the market was the transition from blog posts to videos. Gosh, I can't even remember the last time that I actually like sat down and read a long form SEO optimized pillar page. Uh, forget it. I wouldn't even do yeah. it. I wouldn't even right. do it. 
And analysts are saying that video traffic will quadruple by 2022, which at that point, video is going to account for 82% of all IP traffic. How should brands leverage video today to be able to engage with customers, whether that's B2C or B2B? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely, it's one of the biggest trends happening right now. And and honestly, I mean, I, stuff like this, I mean, people, people tune into stuff like this. They, like I mentioned before, um, they don't want to sit and read a long blog post. They don't want to sit uh, for an hour long webinar. Um, using video uh, to go live, using video to create sort of short snippets. So I, uh, I run an e-commerce podcast called The Exchange. And one of the things that we make sure that we do is uh, for every episode that we record, we're creating video snippets that we're using to post online. And that's the way that we actually drive listeners and downloads to the podcast itself. Um, so, you know, I think we're still kind of in the early days of how social platforms are optimizing for video. I mean, we've, we've already seen that they're doing it, but I think as user behavior, uh, you see, again, you see more people coming online, you see more people not wanting to read as much. They just want to be able to consume things quickly. Video will definitely be, um, you know, be at the forefront of that. You know, another thing that, you know, I've sort of learned in, in my time in e-commerce is, um, and God, I'm going to date myself and sound old, but TikTok is real and it's it's here to stay. Uh, I've, I've interviewed a few uh, a few business leaders, e-commerce leaders who have built their business just on TikTok, and it's one of those things where you could you could say to yourself, "Well, my target demographic isn't on TikTok, so I'm not going to spend any time there." But you're thinking about it backwards. If you have a young demographic on TikTok, it means everyone's competing for those eyeballs on TikTok. If you have an older, slightly older demographic, call it an old for TikTok is probably anyone over 25. There are far fewer people who are competing for those eyeballs on that platform. And the reach is ridiculous. So I would, man, I never thought I would be saying this, but I mean, every brand, I don't care what you do, um, you should be dabbling in TikTok um, because it's a great testing ground. Uh, it's it's still a wide open platform, um, You know, no matter how competitive people might think it is. Yeah, people talk about the glory days of Facebook, where you used to be able to, as a brand, create a Facebook group and literally reach dozens of thousands, hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. of people when you would post a message into a Facebook group that you owned. And instead of uh, being sad that those days now don't exist with the new algorithm, you know, there's a new frontier over here on TikTok. And uh, I shared with you right before we went live, LinkedIn Live is a, is a yet another one as well. Um, still closed right now and you have to apply to be able to get access to LinkedIn Live. But um, any type of brand, uh, especially B2B brands, uh, I would keep an eye on when LinkedIn Live is something that's open to the general public um, because there's an entirely new ground uh, here as well. Um, I think really great, great points there. I love what you're talking about in terms of repurposing content, cutting it into bite-sized pieces. We're taking this show and putting the full episode onto our podcast. We're going to cut it into seven different clips and put it on our YouTube channel as well. And it's literally, you know, an hour of something that you're doing live that turns into 20 different other pieces of content. Right. Right. You started absolutely. your yeah, absolutely. You started your career the same way that I did. Salesperson turned marketing leader. What advice would you give to somebody who's aspiring to be a VP of marketing in the future? Yeah. I mean, I cannot stress strongly enough that starting in sales, I, if, if I could have every person I ever hired start in sales, I would. Um, there's a real difference between, you know, marketing supporting sales and marketing really understanding sales because they've had to carry that quota before. Um 
you know, being successful in marketing is you have to be empathetic and empathetic to your to your peers in sales. Um, the days of sales saying, "Well, the leads aren't any good," and then the, and and marketing saying, "Well, sales doesn't know how to close." Like if you're at a company where that conversation is still happening, you need to find somewhere else because it means that you have a marketing leader that doesn't understand sales and a sales leader who doesn't understand marketing. So, you know, if you if there are things within the scope of your control. Um, it's it's being empathetic towards sales and just understanding understanding that. So that, that's first and foremost. If there's a way for you to carry a quota for some period of your career, take it. Um, so that's first and foremost. Second, I think you know um, becoming a marketing leader. Uh, there's there's you know there's been a change in what the marketing leader is expected to do, own, and have expertise in, and it's becoming more closely tied to revenue than really it ever has. Um, a marketing leader needs to understand how to generate revenue. You know, you need to understand like funnel metrics and how to optimize for every stage in the funnel. But you know, the meetings that I'm in, week in and week out, um, with the CEO and the executive team, we're talking about revenue. Um, brand is still incredibly important, but how does brand help drive revenue? Demand gen is really important, but how does demand gen help drive revenue? Um, the days of I think a marketing leader being purely create a creative type. Uh, it's really few and far between. Um, so, you know, getting getting experience in a, in a role where you're tightly connected to revenue is super important. And again, that's why I think the sales background is a really, really good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the tenure of the average CMO is less than three years. It's one of the lowest tenure, highest turnover executive roles within an organization. And the number one reason are CEOs that don't feel like their CMO is driving revenue. Um, so I couldn't agree with you more there. You know, there's there's much more overlap in today's sales and marketing department relationship than ever before. I remember, you know, when I think back to the past, it was pretty common for um, when an, a sales team had a critical meeting with a large uh, prospect to ask somebody on the sales team how the meeting went after, you know, after the meeting to be able to get the debrief. And now with technology from companies like Gong or Chorus, the marketing leaders are literally listening in on the call live and planning for the next step um, right after that. And Gong and Chorus are not sponsors of this show, although I, I would love to have them as sponsors of the show and talk about how great Gong and Chorus are um, all day long. But um, that really changes things because as a marketing leader, you can't have the excuse of not knowing how the conversation actually right. went with the consumer. So I agree with you, the days of just working on customer personas and um, brand awareness. Oh my gosh. I, I, yeah. Like those days are behind, uh, behind us for sure. It does um, not exist anymore. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us yeah, on Lightning Council Live. It's been awesome to be able to have you on here. Make sure to follow Tim on his LinkedIn profile and you, my friend, are welcome back on this show anytime. Take care. Great. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us on Fight and Council Live. That's our show for today. And we'll see you back here uh, next week. We're going to be here Friday at 12 p.m. Central time. The week after that, we switch to Thursday. And we'll be on every single week for the remainder of the year. So a full schedule of our Vitan events is available. You can follow the calendar at vitan.com slash calendar. Again, that's vitan.com slash calendar. For more information about the Vitan Council, head over to vitan.com. And let me know what you think about today's episode and who you would like to see appear as a guest on future episodes. You can also text me directly at 615 667 
615-667-8433. That's 615-667-8433. And make sure to add yourself to my phone's contact list. Take care and we'll see you next time.